And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a fantastic weekend. A uh, great show for you today. I was joined by my brother, Reed Cooley. Um, and I wanted to bring him on today because he, uh, to, to tell his story about how he was uh, recently fired from the organization he's worked for for several years, Young Americans for Liberty. Um, you've heard me talk about that organization quite a bit over the years uh, in, in support of them. Um, I won't be doing that anymore. Um, so it's a it's a fascinating story and a, and a cautionary tale, I think, about how the left can can uh, can destroy just about anything they get their hands on. So uh, I think you guys will enjoy. It. Before you get to read, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe. If you're an iTunes user, please uh, take a few seconds to leave us a five star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash The No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Reed Cooley. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Reed Cooley. Reed, how have you been, man? Good, man. How are you? Uh, I've been good. I'm good. Can't complain. Um, so you've had, a, you've had a crazy week, my brother. <laughs> you've yeah. Had a, you've had one for the ages. Uh, so for, for anybody who doesn't know, Reed, you've, you've worked with uh, Young Americans for Liberty for a long time. Um, and you've put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into that organization, done a lot of good work over there. And uh, they, just, they just fired you. So uh, why, why'd, they, why'd they make that decision? Uh, well, uh, it's a little bit of a little bit of a long story. I think that we can take uh, take all of it and put it down into into just a few minutes here, so that I can keep uh, from boring your audience uh, too much. But uh, you know, back in January 2021, uh, we had a, a change in leadership due to some allegations against a, a former CEO. Right. Um, a few months later, uh, spring of last year, uh, the board of directors uh, hired uh, Lauren Doherty uh, to fill that vacant CEO position. Now, it's important to remember. That uh, Lauren Doherty is the former head of development at the Libertarian Party. Uh, and from day one, it, it seemed abundantly clear that she had every intention of, of strong of strong arming Yao's brand into just sort of, uh, well, exactly what you might expect from the Libertarian Party, the sort of squishy, lefty, quasi-libertarian woke direction of the LP under the leadership of, let's say, like Nick Sarwark or someone like that. Uh, so uh, my role at Young Americans for Liberty uh, throughout my last year or so there was uh, vice president of communications. Now, I had been with Young Americans for Liberty uh, since uh, 2018 in a communications capacity. Um, and really everything that you see <clears throat> um, as far as the, the, the general communications and marketing apparatus at Yale is something that, that I, and with the help of, of some other great people, built over a long period of time. I think it would be 100% accurate to say that I'm the architect of the communications department at Young Americans for Liberty. Um, and everything at Yale, from social media to TV and radio, podcasts, op-eds, press releases, targeted ads, all of those systems, all of those protocols, those capabilities are things that, uh, that, that I introduced to the organization um, and really just oversaw, you know, for really about three years. Um, 
But because of my role at Yale, really just sort of being uh, the chief brand ambassador, if you will, uh, I was put into a difficult position uh, whenever Miss Doherty uh, came into the organization um, in, in the spring of last year with what really seemed like immediately attempts to dilute Yao's brand and turn it into this just sort of horrible woke direction. Um, so throughout my last year at Yao, after she came on board, um, my time was largely spent just using whatever power I had as a member of the executive team to try and keep uh, Miss Doherty and the members of the board of directors from from carrying the organization uh, in, in a very, very bad direction um, as far as the brand uh, and everything else. Um, ultimately, these creative differences with Lauren uh, resulted in the board of directors uh, terminating me uh, last Monday, February the 7th, uh, simply over my, quote, unwillingness to follow Lauren's directives. That was it. Um, and it's worth, I think, equally important is just hours after they let me go, they brought in a new member of the executive team. I'm not completely certain whether it's accurate to say that he's my replacement, because to my understanding, my position is technically vacant. This guy has the position of chief strategy officer, but uh, you know, his name. Um, yeah. So um, uh, Brendan Steinhauser is his name, and he is the former campaign manager for Dan Crenshaw. Um, <laughs> this this is a person with a documented history of of supporting, for example, uh, intervention against Russia amidst the Ukraine crisis in back in December. And this was a person who condemned the withdrawal from Afghanistan back in August of 2021. So this is a person with a history of supporting Dan Crenshaw, um, not just supporting him, but serving as his campaign manager. In 2018, Mr. Steinhauser penned a glowing op-ed about uh, Dan Crenshaw and how wonderful of a leader he is and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. And, you know, then, you, you know, fast forward, he, he's posting tweets about uh, how, you know, it's shameful that we're withdrawing from Afghanistan and that we have to send a strong message to Russia uh, amidst Ukraine. And of course, all that's paraphrasing. But yeah, that's uh, that's the newest member of the YAL executive team uh, in the wake of, of my termination. Um, and it has generated a widespread feeling that, uh, you know, that, that, that I was that I was suspicious of for a long time, ever since Lauren Doherty came on board which is that the organization is is definitely on track to going in sort of a, um, a woke slash neocon uh, direction, really just like uh, the Bill Weld and Nick Sarwark uh, strain uh, of, of, you know, of, the, of the Libertarian Party. Um, and it's worth noting that in 2020, uh, Lauren Doherty actually contributed to Bill Weld's presidential campaign, uh, where he ran on a Republican ticket in the primary uh, challenging Trump. This is after he abandoned the Libertarian Party, okay? Uh, and this is after he went on MSNBC and, quote, you know, uh, vouched for Hillary Clinton and said that he agreed with her foreign policy for the most part and believed that she was, in fact, a good person. That is who Lauren Doherty, the current CEO of Young Americans for Liberty, uh, supported in 2020 for president. And that is the direction that it seems to a lot of people, the Young Americans for Liberty is headed in now. Um, so this was something that I tried to fight uh, my last uh, several months at Young Americans for Liberty. 
Um, I tried to go through every professional um, avenue that I had while I was there. Um, everything from from approaching the board of directors uh, in, in private Zoom calls to taking it to HR, everything. I tried every, you know, I, I went through every system that I was expected to go through and uh, and and, uh, and I was ultimately terminated for it. And and so this is a case where I was I was convicted of defending the Ron Paul revolution inside of Students for Ron Paul. Right. Right. For anybody who doesn't know, Yale was founded in you know 0708 as Students for Ron Paul. So it, um the, these folks trying to get rid of all the Ron Paul people is 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 absolutely ridiculous. And yeah, and for anybody who doesn't remember, Bill Weld's 2020 presidential run was like explicitly to challenge Donald Trump from the left, you know, within the Republican Party uh, from the left of Donald Trump. And so, yeah, I mean, just just absolutely ridiculous. So what what are because you, you posted some screenshots. Um, well, I, I didn't post any screenshots. So let's be clear. I didn't oh. post any screenshots, but some screenshots were posted by other people on Twitter. Um, just so, in, in these were, these were screenshots sent to my, my private cell phone number. Um, so they were on my cell phone, uh, and they help people explain some of the, some of the issues that, uh, that those of us who believe in the Ron Paul revolution were having with Lauren since, since about the time she came on board. Yeah. Tell us a couple of the things that Lauren did not want you to post from Yale's social media. Uh, sure. So uh, one of them you can find on T.J. Roberts' uh, Twitter page. Uh, he he posted it in a thread. Um, it is a it, it's it's a disagreement that that I had with Lauren Doherty over Liz Cheney. So it was a May the 11th. Um, Lauren, uh, sorry, Yell posted the first of many tweets attacking Liz Cheney, which is precisely what we are supposed to be doing. Um, Young Americans for Liberty, or as it was founded originally, Students for Ron Paul, was founded in opposition to the Bushes and and the Cheneys, right? But uh, Lauren had some pretty serious questions about the intentionality of Young Americans for Liberty attacking Liz Cheney. So she sent me a series of text messages reading, My brain isn't at its best this week, but isn't what Liz Cheney is doing right now more aligned with our interests than other times? I don't see how criticizing her right now on her opposition to Trumpism is in your best interest. I frankly commend her for her courage on this one. Uh, You can also find this on Tho Bishop's Twitter page uh, with the screenshots. But uh, yeah, that was was a a huge red flag uh, just weeks in after Lauren... Uh, had taken office uh, as CEO. Um, it was absolutely mind-boggling to hear the CEO of Young Americans for Liberty uh, seeming to indicate that either Yal is or Yal should be more anti-Trump than anti-Cheney. It was just otherworldly, <laughs> yeah, uh, just absolutely insane. Um, and that you know that signaled the kind of deeper problems, and that that put me in a position where. I had to disagree with my own CEO just to try and uphold the principles that the organization was originally founded on. And man, if, if that isn't emblematic of like left libertarianism right now, or like the regime approved, you know, the Beltway libertarian types, the Cato's, the Reason magazines, unfortunately, yeah, <laughs> at this point as well, you know. That that really explains that position, the left libertarian position. Like they, it's mm-hmm. so orange man bad. They're so opposed to Trump. <laughs> I mean, 
I mean, I never would have. Uh, I never would. I didn't have siding with the Cheneys over Trump on my bingo card. But <laughs> I think that really does explain where these people are, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you're exactly correct. Uh, but that's not even that's not even the worst of it. So it was uh, later that same day, my communications team at Yale posted a graphic to Yale social media pages featuring a silhouette of an AR-15 with the caption reading, more guns, less government. Uh, Lauren then pinged me individually with the following questions. Quote, food for thought. Are images of militant-looking guns undermining <laughs> us? Would images of less militant guns mm. be better? Uh, this was also just bizarre like, to like me. Like a squirt like, gun? A squirt gun? Yeah, yeah, sure. Let, let's go with a, a squirt gun. Yeah, so yeah. What, what, what Lauren is essentially saying is that maybe the AR-15 is is too aggressive looking, too militant looking in her own words to to be a part of the Yao brand, right? But we look at, at at the kind of campaign videos that Ron Paul was producing, for example. He campaigned with AR-15s, okay? I uh, in his campaign videos. So this was just this was also just mind-boggling to me. Like I was in the Twilight Zone. Like I was expecting Rod Serling to just pop out of the door somewhere and look into some unseen camera somewhere <laughs> and then talk about how Reed had slipped into the twilight zone, you know, but uh, I mean, those all, were on the all same my, day. all my homies, all my homies campaign with AR 15s first and foremost, let me get that out there. But, and then what you got hit us with the next one. Cause she really brought it home with the woke stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a uh, right out about a month later. Uh, this was early June. Uh, Yao posted a picture of Kamala Harris laughing into a microphone with a caption reading, find someone who laughs at your jokes the way Kamala Harris laughs at a question she doesn't know the answer to. I feel like that was pretty tame. Um, like that's just, that, that's this thing called comedy. I'm not completely certain if the left libertarians, uh, like their woke friends are, are familiar with the concept of comedy, but I felt like that was a pretty tame way. Uh, of, of attacking Kamala Harris. So it didn't even seem that edgy to me is my point. Um, but Lauren got angry and sent me a series of text messages ordering me to take the post down. Her justification, and I quote, it looks really bad if we are calling the first non-white and female VP stupid, which is how <laughs> many people will see this. So um, though Bishop uh, posted that one, uh, a lot of other people have posted that screenshot and Mike Cernovich, uh, actually uh, made commentary on it as well. Uh, so if you go to Twitter, you look at uh, Tho Bishop's Twitter page or Mike Cernovich's Twitter page, you can scroll back a little bit and you can see this entire thread uh, on all of it. But uh, yeah, it, it was absolutely insane that if tyrants have the right amount of melanin in their skin or or the right uh, chromosome, then, then they should be beyond reproach. The, then Yao should be softer with how it attacks those people. If that doesn't epitomize left libertarianism, as you put it, I'm not sure what does, right? It's government-approved libertarianism, which has never excited anyone. It has never advanced the cause of liberty uh, at all, but that is exactly what I had to fight at Young Americans for Liberty my last several months there. It's ultimately why I was terminated um, you know, my termination had nothing to do with performance. I can tell you that because there's nothing about my metrics. There's nothing about uh, my reporting. There's nothing about anything that could have been pointed to, uh, to, you know, to, to, to justify terminating me. This had everything to do with, with, with not, with not just creative differences. These aren't creative differences. 
this is a matter of a strong, at the very least, it's it's an unforgivable misunderstanding of the Ron Paul uh, revolution, of the Ron Paul brand. But uh, more more probably, it is uh, it, it really seems to be a, a an attempt to to take it in a new direction to say that, that what the Ron Paul revolution has been for the last the last 14 years is not good enough that uh, that we have to that we have to uh, professionalize it and make it credible because it's not been good enough and the, these left libertarians uh, from this uh, the Sarwark branch you know these paragons uh, of marketing expertise uh, they know better uh, than the people who've actually uh, who actually built uh, this movement I mean uh, claiming so, that you can't I mean, this is, you know, supposedly supposed to be a, a libertarian organization molded after, you know, in, in the mold of Ron Paul, obviously. Saying you can't criticize the second most powerful politician in the country because she's black is like, that's not just bad for a libertarian to say something like that. That's to the left of, like, the Republican Party. That's to the mm-hmm. left of, like, a lot of Democrats. I mean, that's pretty far left yep. the position that yep. politicians are above reproach because they have melanin in their skin. I mean, that's like moderate. Dem- I mean, that's to the left of like Kirsten Cinema. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There's a lot of like normal Democrats that will, you know, that will criticize politicians. They won't hold back criticism of politicians because they're black. You know what I mean? That's like a far yep. left woke you know, hardcore Democratic Party position to take. And at, at a certain point, like, you just have to admit that you don't a- actually hate the state. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to admit that you aren't actually trying to bring down the regime, that you are not actually trying to reduce the size and scope of the government. I mean, like, what you're just, just admit that you're a Democrat at this point. Like, if you think that, like, black people are above reproach, I mean, one, that you just sound like any other racist Democrat. Like, it's, yep. you know, it's not, yeah, that that's the mind-boggling part. It's like, it's not... I mean, like if if a any like middle of the road conservative held that position, we'd be like, "Wow!" I mean, look at this woke idiot. Yeah, you know what I mean. If any like moderate <laughs> Republican said something like this, you'd be like, "Wow, what an idiot!" You know, he's just siding with the Democrats. Right, and, and something that I was telling Shane Hazel a couple of days ago is that whenever our enemies, whenever the state figures out or the left, you know, which are, you know whatever you want to call our enemies, I believe that the state and the left are largely synonymous with each other. Right. But uh, if, if you if they find out that, that we are afraid to criticize tyrants because they have uh, they have certain genitalia or because they have certain amounts of melanin in their skin, what are they going to do? They're going to put more people like that in, in positions of power just in an attempt to keep us quiet, to keep us from criticizing the state or criticizing the left. They will exploit those such sensitivities very much to our disadvantage. So um, it, it's like, you know, there's nothing more that the left, that the state, they would love than to see people on the right, conservatives, libertarians, whoever they may be, um, afraid, like, like afraid of criticizing the state for, for whatever reason, for any reason at all, or maybe for no reason at all, right? So uh, it's just, it, it's, it was otherworldly. It, it was just absolutely insane, but it, it didn't even end here. So talking about more similarities with the left, fast forward uh, to December, early December of 2021. So Thomas Massey uh, posted um, a, a, a now viral image of him and his family like in their living room posing with their machine guns. 
Um, it and was a, I mean, it was it, a heartwarming family photo, by the way. It was a heartwarming family photo. You're right. Hallmark did not have shit on this, right? No. Um, it was so it, it was amazing, right? Everybody really thought that this was a. Everybody in the Yale office uh, felt like this was a great way of promoting and championing the Second Amendment. Um, but uh, Lauren Doherty sent out an all-staff email uh, condemning uh, Congressman Massey's Christmas card. Uh, reminding everybody among the staff that a lot of people find guns very scary. Um, so that that's that was just, yeah, that that was insane. We're talking about more similarities with with Democrats, right? That sounds like something that the average Democrat would say, right? So the the the, the strongest position it seems that that Lauren Doherty was willing to take on the Second Amendment was something that, that even the vast majority of gun control Democrats uh, would have supported. And, and let's actually, let's connect a couple of dots here. Like I said, Lauren Doherty supported Bill Weld's uh, candidacy for president in 2020. Let's bear in mind that, that Bill Weld, his campaign website, I, I believe it's still up. I, I saw it uh, just a couple of weeks ago. He campaigned on reasonable and responsible gun control, Okay. And that was who Lauren Doherty supported for president. Like like Brady said, uh, a person whose who's, his explicit purpose in running for president was to run to the left of Donald Trump within the Republican Party. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. It's it's insane. But there were a couple more instances uh, that happened uh, that month that I think I would be remiss to not to not mention. So uh, this was uh, around Christmas. I believe it was December the 24th. Um, my communications team put up a, a meme, like a Christmas-themed meme of Joe Biden, like on a grill, right? And uh, it said, liar on a fryer, okay? Like, liar on a fryer, like, like elf on a shelf, whatever, right? And people thought this was funny. It was uh, it, it was meme it was it was cheesy, it was stupid, but in a good way. Um, well, Lauren contacted me, um, ordered me to take that meme down, and justified it saying we didn't need to be calling politicians liars. That liar is not the kind of language that we need to be using. What? Uh, e- even, <laughs> to, even, even in attacking someone uh, like Joe Biden, right? I, the- I, I don't understand. If, if, if young Americans for Liberty can't call politicians liars, what can they do? Absolutely like, what, nothing. Well, what, are, what are we allowed to call politicians if we can't call them liars? It was... Absolutely, like liar is too strong of language. I don't, I don't understand that. Like Brady, can, can can you rationalize this? Because I still haven't been able to rationalize it you know, to this I mean, day. Calling Joe Biden a liar would probably be the nicest thing I've ever said about Joe Biden. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> right. I think I think Joe Biden would probably get off easy if yeah. people only ever called him a liar, right? How about, but a, blood, how about a blood-soaked tyrant? I mean, how about yeah. a how about a war criminal? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I've got I've got a lot of them. Yeah, uh, a a dim-witted geriatric uh, you know warlord. How something like that? You know, a a racist geriatric obsolete, <laughs> yes. um, bedwetting dim-witted uh, warmonger. How about that? Right? Who may or may not have peed his pants in front of the pope? In front of the pope. Yeah. <laughs> in front so, of the pope. It was, yeah, that that was absolutely uh, insane. And pertaining to all of this, it has uh, it has more recently come out, um, you know, according to some posts on Twitter, that uh, a member of the Young Americans for Liberty Board of Directors 
um, you know, a person who is widely believed to have handpicked Lauren himself donated to Julie Oliver, a Bernie endorsed candidate for Congress. He donated to her in 2019. Okay. This candidate for Congress endorsed by Bernie was openly running on a campaign of Medicare for all. And that is a member of the Young Americans for Liberty Board of Directors. Um, that is the kind of influence that you have in charge of the organization at the highest level. Uh, that is the kind of cancer that is inside of this organization that I ended up with the help of, of a few loyal others trying to fight from, from within. And ultimately, I took the ax for it. But I'll tell you, I don't expect any pity from anyone because, uh, you know, I, I, I would make the same decisions all over again. Uh, I can absolutely live with being terminated for, for standing up for liberty, standing up for the Ron Paul revolution and doing the right thing. But, but yeah, a, a member of the board of directors donated to a Bernie endorsed congressional candidate openly running on a campaign of Medicare for all. That's the kind of influence you have running the organization, not just at the CEO level with Lauren, but at the level of the board of directors. I wanted to give you credit, <clears throat> credit on the podcast that, um, Yale did offer you money. They they offered you a buyout to uh, to keep your mouth shut and not discuss any of this. And you you did stand on principle, um, and 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 turn it down. Tell him, told him to kick rocks and 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 chose to to go public with it. Uh, yes, it, it probably wouldn't be kosher for me to elaborate on on the amount of money or anything like that. But um, essentially, um, yeah. After you know. I was offered paperwork that uh, in exchange for waiving any complaints I had against the organization or anybody working in the organization, I would have been given uh, a, a sum of money. Uh, I, I refused it because I wanted to be able to, to speak truthfully um, about, about what I believe is going on here, uh, which I believe has very deep-seated consequences for, for this entire movement. Um, you know, Young Americans for Liberty is the the most powerful libertarian organization in the country, or at least it has been uh, a libertarian organization um, throughout the majority of its history, as far as I can tell. Um, and we have to ask ourselves a very serious question, which is what happens whenever the, the massive infrastructure that Young Americans for Liberty has built, what happens whenever it falls into the wrong hands? So... Whenever I left, Young Americans for Liberty counted 174 uh, state legislators in its nationwide legislative coalition, right? Um, that's massive. Uh, that, that's influence in um, almost every state legislature in the country. Um, the Libertarian Party most certainly doesn't have that. I don't know of another liberty uh, organization that has this. And I, mean, I don't, I don't we, know. There's not a lot of— uh... Liberty organizations that even try, you know, and that's I do want to mm -hmm. we obviously have to mention the horrific leadership, um, all, all these the the rot that that's taken over the organization from the inside does not represent the amazing folks that you guys have on the ground actually doing the work to get right. these liberty candidates elected. It, it, it's a real shame. I mean, because you guys uh, you had a record breaking election cycle in, in 2020. You got a ton of good people elected. And you have some great people, especially young people. These are people in their early 20s most of the time uh, working, <clears throat> you know, long hours to, to make a difference. And um, 
it just sucks because those are those those folks are Ron Paul people. <laughs> you know, they're they're some of right. the good guys, and uh, you know that the leadership definitely doesn't represent them. No, that's exactly it. You know, there are a lot of absolutely phenomenal activists that have done some some absolutely incredible things. Look at look at Sarah Rotsi, for example. Right, you know, she challenged and overturned uh, COVID mandates at Rutgers University. Right, you know, one one of one of the biggest colleges in this country, or among the biggest colleges in this country. Um, there is such a monumental disconnect, and I know I'm probably you know omitting so many other amazing activists out there. But Yao has some absolutely incredible kids on the ground who they feel this Ron Paul revolution in their bones. They're ready to go fight tyrants wherever they find them, whether they're on college campuses or they're in state legislatures or they're in governor's offices or they're in Congress or perhaps even the White House. Like these are kids with a fire in their belly for freedom, and they are not, in my opinion, represented by the current leadership uh, at Young Americans for Liberty whether that's on the board of directors or whether it's with the CEO or other members of the executive team. Right. And I, I think I, I rest assured that the, the activist network at young Americans for Liberty understood that I was a vice president that stood with them. I was a vice president that wanted to support them, that wanted to do everything that I could to make sure that they had what they needed in order to 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 do their to do their jobs most effectively to fulfill their roles for liberty most effectively and uh but now i i feel like you know that sort of uh that sort of disconnect has just been widened between the leadership of young americans for liberty in the national office uh and and the grassroots activists on the ground so i will say uh, attacking yell activists uh that that's absolutely unacceptable to me um if if I see you attacking anybody, attacking Young Americans for Liberty's activists, I won't be happy with that. Um, what is happening to Young Americans for Liberty is absolutely unequivocally not a not a consequence of anything that the activists have done. They are victims of this just as much as anybody else, if not much more than a person like me. So let's leave our attacks away from Young Americans for Liberty's activists. Um, and and if if we're going to engage in criticism, the, then let's make sure that we're levying it at the people responsible. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I was talking about this with uh, Clint Russell from Liberty Lockdown last week, um, and you know, because I I have my my <clears throat> my feet in both camps. Like I am a Liberty Republican. I'm a registered Republican here in Ohio, and uh, and it's like for every white pill, there's a black pill lately. And, uh, you know, it's like one of those, why can't we have nice things kind of situations? I feel like it's like, there's so many white pills coming from the political right, from the Republican party. It's like, you know, you're seeing Republicans move away from their support of the wars, um, from support of the cops, you know, you're seeing like, you know, like even like a Tucker Carlson kind of guy will go on TV and talk about the war in Yemen. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you never thought you'd see something like that on Fox News, like even five years ago. You know, and like so you're seeing a lot of this progress, and then you see like libertarian organizations falling apart. So it's like, man, my goodness, like we're we're fine, we're dragging our Republican friends along with us. We're waking a lot of people up, and then the libertarian side falls apart. It's like, you know, why can't why can't our people keep their eye on the ball? But in it, it's like you look at the last couple years, the two people that have, at least in the last year, let's say, the, t- the two people that have done the most for the liberty movement aren't libertarians. you know. And, and the two of them come to mind. It's Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro. I mean, Joe Rogan's like a, 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 like a true moderate. 
Like he's a true centrist. <laughs> he has a whole bunch of like left wing positions. He supported Bernie Sanders. He wants uh, Andrew Yang's uh, uh, universal basic income. You know, it's like all this. He's like super pro uh, police and all this. And he's done. More, <laughs> I mean, he's done more for the First Amendment, for freedom of speech. He's done more to bring down the COVID regime than anybody. And he's far from a libertarian. You know what I mean? I mean, he, yeah, Joe Rogan had Dave Smith. On, on his podcast the other day, they talked about Yemen for an hour. <laughs> okay, They talked about the Saudis' war of genocide against Yemen for mm-hmm. an hour in front of 11 million people. You know what I mean? And then Ben Shapiro, the Daily Wire, a conservative organization, they literally sued the federal government. They sued Joe Biden. Took the, I mean, they put, I don't, Lord knows how many millions of dollars they ponied up to, to, to lawyer up and take this fight all the way to the Supreme Court and won. That was the Daily Wire's lawsuit mm-hmm. that struck down Joe Biden's vaccine mandate. And it's like, they're not a libertarian organization. And then it's like, no. you look at the libertarian side, and it's like, what have you people done? Like, what have, like, the regime-approved left libertarians done? Have they done one-tenth of what either one of those gentlemen I just mentioned done to bring down the COVID regime? Have they even tried? It's like, you know, it's like you look at Reason Magazine, they're writing 10 pieces a day on on weed and on, you know, uh, occupational licensing reform. And I mean, it's like stuff that we agree with. But it's like, dude, where were you when Shapiro sued the government? I mean, that should have been that should have been the Cato Institute suing the government. They didn't. The K- they had some uh, the Washington Post, I think it was the Washington Post, had some editor from Cato write. It was it was essentially I'm paraphrasing, but it was like the libertarian case for covid fascism <laughs> you know yeah I mean? and it's like yeah, at, at a time when joe right. rogan like an actual left winger is standing up against the covid regime it's like you know obviously we get the white pills from our friends on the right moving in the right direction and then you look at like the libertarian side and they're you know and it's like joe bishop henchman running the libertarian party and so it's like man it's it, what do you do it's like why can't we have nice things reed well, I think that you know, obviously you're right to point to Joe Rogan. And you know, like I was telling you in our conversation a little while ago, um, Joe Rogan is really my barometer for what I consider normal to be, right? Like Joe Rogan, like, I don't, okay, the guy's not normal, first off, but he also, he's the, he's one of the most normy guys out there politically, right? He, he really constitutes the true north for what the center is, for what the political center is, right? Right. He, he, he echoes a lot of the, the same sentiments that, that everyday people feel, right? So, yeah, it, Joe Rogan having Dave Smith on his show for an hour, for example, to talk about Yemen. Right. Yeah. But like that's done so much more for liberty than the Cato Institute, obviously uh, having you know the Cato Institute, having having uh, scholars, so to speak, if we can call them that on MSNBC to provide you know, the libertarian justification for vaccine lotteries and whatever else. Right. Um, you know, that, that's really what what the left libertarian movement has become. It's really just using libertarian arguments to justify greater degrees of tyranny. It's using libertarianism to justify the left, not using the left to justify libertarianism, if that makes sense, right? right. Um, which is why I believe libertarians, like true, you know, true libertarians, have far more, infinitely more in common with most conservatives than we do with these leftist quasi-libertarians, like the people at the Cato Institute. But to embrace uh, left libertarianism, as we call it, it's also a failed strategy. So exactly. when you look, so it was in 2013, the former executive vice president of Cato openly said that uh, that we are going to ally ourselves with the left, right? But look at what has happened to Cato ever since then. They have no influence anymore. 
They're a shell of their former selves. Their greatest media achievements or their greatest uh, attempts to, to garner influence are whenever they occasionally get a TV hit or, or maybe they get they get published in, in one of the legacy media print outlets like, like the Washington Post, right? You look at their Twitter page, what do they get? Four likes uh, per tweet? Nobody, um, not even most of their own people, actually engage with their own social media content. It just goes to show that it's lifeless, it's soulless, it's unexciting, it's not even close to what people who crave liberty uh, want. So it's a failed strategy, and that should serve as a dire warning as well. Young Americans for Liberty shouldn't be the only dire warning we draw from this. It should also be Cato because Cato was founded by Murray Rothbard. Yeah. It was Rothbard's organization. Can you imagine that? Just looking yeah. at Cato now. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, it's like, it's it's almost hard to believe that the great Murray Rothbard founded the organization. But it's like, you you said it's not a, a, a sound strategy. It's not even a sound strategy for these individuals themselves. It's like, I right. just don't understand why, why in 2022... After everything we've seen, especially these last few years, why, like, feed the alligator and hope they don't, the alligator eats me last? It's like, how is that even? It's like, no, I, Lauren holds enough libertarian positions, at least, probably. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe she's just controlled opposition. But, like, she, she more than likely actually holds enough libertarian positions that the left will never accept her. You know, and right. it's like the, they, the left would silence her in a second. The left would imprison her in a second if, if they could if they could excuse it and it's like you see republicans do it all the time with like over the trump stuff you see like an example i like to use is that uh, uh who's the uh illinois guy uh Ken, Ad, adam kinzinger how he like went all in on like his he changed okay. his entire personality to like just hating trump you know and it's like he thought that the democrats would accept him and goes on cnn all the time and then the democrats just gerrymandered his district out <laughs> out of existence so now he's unemployed you know it's like god it doesn't matter like it doesn't matter how much you side with democrats they're still gonna hate your guts like if you oppose them on any literally anything on guns on free speech on m- making infants wear masks like if you oppose the regime on anything they'll destroy you so it's like i don't know how after all the evidence we have that it does not work why these people still try to gain the approval of the democrats it just it makes absolutely no sense to me on a moral level obviously because it's just wrong but on a like strategic level like it's not going to work out for you these people will still come for you they will still eat you no, I mean, that's exactly correct. I think that, uh, Jesus, for once, I think that you actually took all the words out of my mouth uh, this time, Brady. Sorry, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but no, no, it, it's all good. But, you know, like you're right. And it's not just an unsound strategy. It's, it's no way to advance liberty. And it's ultimately the path to self-destruction, uh, which is ultimately what I think, uh, think it is you're alluding to. We've spent a lot of time talking about bad libertarian strategy, but I think we would be remiss to not talk about good libertarian strategy, a, a, a very strong libertarian strategy that, uh, that has been overlooked for almost 50 years um, and, uh, and that, that I was hoping young Americans for liberty uh, could embody. So in 1973, uh, the great Murray Rothbard, since we're talking about him, uh, he, wrote, uh, he wrote a book called uh, For a New Liberty, right? Um, and this book, is, it's largely considered Murray Rothbard's uh, magnum opus. I mean, it's considered his single best piece of work. So, um, yeah, it was it was you know 49 years ago, right at 50 years ago, that he wrote this. And uh, chapter it's it's three chapters, right? 
Um, so chapter two, he talks extensively about how to apply um, libertarian principles to to real world problems. And he goes through it one issue area after another. Now, we're talking about uh, the early 70s, right? So obviously some of these are – some of the language is a little bit uh, obsolete. Some of what he's talking about is, is you know a little bit out of touch with the times. But an, an alarming amount of chapter two – um, is, is very, very applicable to today. But chapter three, he, uh, it, it's titled A Strategy for Liberty. And uh, he actually gives a, a blueprint for exactly the way that, uh, that, that libertarianism should be advanced, right? He talks about education, right? And he, and he has a, an interesting sort of uh, two-part definition for education, uh, theory and movement, Right. And he talks about you know, any kind of institution, any kind of movement hoping to advance libertarian ideals. It has to be well-versed in the theory, and it has to be very aggressive with its movement, right? So what he means by the first component of education theory is that you have to have a, a culture of people uh, inside, this, inside the libertarian movement, inside this effort to advance libertarian ideals who constantly challenge each other on the philosophy and to understand it on a deep and profound level and what makes it so different from conservatism or from uh, centrism or progressivism or whatever else, right? Like you, you have to understand what makes libertarianism different. And I think that's one serious area where the, le where the left libertarians screw up big time. Uh, a lot of these people see libertarianism as a, sort of a, a centrist philosophy. Like they see libertarianism as this sort of seven up of political movements or whatever. It's not really conservatism. It's not really liberalism. It's kind of cool in the middle. They support the best parts of both sides. And if, if, they're, if, they, if they can emphasize that enough, then maybe people on the right and the left will like them and, and they can strike some magical Goldilocks zone right between the middle of the right and the left, right? The, and worst, that, thing that, the worst thing that ever happened to the libertarian movement was— these morons adopting the the dumbest line of all time, which is like the you know socially liberal, fiscally conservative thing. Yep. <laughs> it's like my goodness. If I I I don't think I've ever heard a slogan that missed the mark quite as bad as that one. No, at, at least not within the libertarian movement. I haven't. Um, yeah, it's like no, like we're, we're socially libertarian, fiscally libertarian. Like if you had read a book. At one point uh, in your in your journey in liberty, then, then perhaps you would understand why that's different, why it, it's it's so different from this sort of uh, dichotomy that you seem to so determined to operate inside of. Um, but yeah, so you know that's that's one area where the, where the the left libertarians, because we were discussing them a minute ago, where they really miss the mark on things, right? Um, and 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 Rothbard addresses that. Uh, in chapter three of For a New Liberty, right? But then he talks about movement. Um, and movement, yeah, he has an interesting definition for movement, this other half of education. Uh, and that's that movement is, it consists of everything from aggressively engaging TV and radio and newspapers and press releases to student activism and all of those sorts of things. And let's keep in mind, this was in in 1973, that, that Murray Rothbard so articulate so articulately uh, imparted you know this part of his wisdom uh, onto the rest of us, right? And I, when I was in Young Americans for Liberty, I felt like this formula, which he explained so brilliantly as he always does, 
which he he shared with us had never been acted upon. And and my vision for Young Americans for Liberty was to be the the, the institution that finally acted on on that vision of Murray Rothbard because. Um, you know, for, for the last four years, my God, man, I've heard so many people telling me, yeah, if we just do this and do that, then we can we can totally take back the state legislatures or it comes down to culture, man, or we just got to get more media. It's like all these idiots talking about what it takes to advance liberty. And Rothbard was one of a few instances, as well as some of the writings of Hoppe. Where and of course you know the Ron Paul trilogy where he talks about the revolution and manifesto and all that. But uh, Murray Rothbard was one of the few instances where I didn't feel like I was reading some random idiot with these you know half baked ideas about how to properly advance, uh, effectively advance the ideas of liberty. Like I was I was reading a tangible formula, like something real and concrete that uh, that had had never been done as far as I could tell. Right. I feel like this is probably what the, the vision that Murray Rothbard had for the Libertarian Party at one point. But obviously, uh, we've, we've already spent a great deal of time talking about exactly where that went, if that was his vision at all. Right. Um, but, yeah, like you know, it was just it was for a new liberty. Chapter three, uh, a strategy for liberty is what it's called. Um, and it was just uh, it was it was brilliant. And it was it was it was so much of what inspired me to do what I did at Young Americans for Liberty to engage the media, TV, radio, podcasts, press releases, social, you know, whatever else I needed to, to engage, right, in order to advance those ideas forward. But um, that that has unfortunately been taken away by people who, who don't seem to share uh, the same level of, of conviction, right, the same level of, of deep understanding uh, in the philosophy of liberty that Murray Rothbard also said would be absolutely critical. The funniest thing to me, man, and we can we can close on this. Um, like one thing that I do appreciate about the times we live in right now, maybe the only thing I, I like about the times we are living in right now, is that it's extraordinarily easy these days to make sure that you're on the right side of history. You know what I mean? Like, and a lot of times it's not it's not that simple. I mean, like we've had there's been debates within libertarianism for for decades and decades about you know certain policy points you know what i mean um it, it's it's not hard man it's not hard and you see justin trudeau up in canada just invoked emergency powers and is sending in the military to enslave or kill the freedom truckers and then you get like some beltway libertarians saying you know they they really shouldn't you know they shouldn't be blocking the roads oh it's just so bad it's so bad to block the road. You know, they're disrupting the supply chain. You know, maybe Trudeau should murder them and their families. It's, you know what I mean? It's like, where does this logic lead? You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's not hard to understand who is on the right side of history these days. You know, the, the person telling you you can't oppose a tyrant, an actual fascist, because she's black, is not on the right side of history. Right. You know what I mean? If, if somebody's telling you you can't oppose a blood-soaked monster like Liz Cheney because, uh, for I don't know, because the orange man bad, <laughs> if somebody's, th then you're not on the right side of history. Like, this is not difficult. And, you know, it, it, maybe even for, like, newer libertarian, people that are, are newer to, to liberty itself and for standing up for freedom, it, it's so easy right now. And it's not always that way. This is not always the case, but it's very easy to know you are standing on the right side of history right now. Because things have gotten so bad over over COVID and the COVID regime and all that. And it's like, 
man, if you just take a step back, if these people, Lauren and, and all these others, would just take a step back and look, what, what am I doing right now? My governor held a gun to my head and said my kid has to wear a mask. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's not hard to, to know where you stand. And unfortunately, these people, I, I don't know, they, they still, it, it's like no matter what the state does, they still will find reasons to not oppose the state. And I, I don't know. You, you, you just cannot call yourself a libertarian. If if that's the case, you just can't, you're something else. You're you're a Democrat. You're a lefty. You're not just keep keep the word libertarianism out of your mouth at that point. If you if you are concocting reasons to not oppose the state when the state has imposed, I mean, the most ridiculous mandates and restrictions on your God-given liberties since at least the Jim Crow South, uh-huh. have we seen the American government this oppressive? And you're still you're thinking of reasons not to oppose the state. It's like wow, it, it's it's so transparently corrupt, so transparently broken. You know, something is right. broken in the minds of these people that literal. I mean, you you see Reason Magazine people, you know, opposing the Canadian truckers. It's like these people might be murdered for standing up for right. their God-given freedoms. I mean, these these people might. I mean, their children might might grow up fatherless because their dad stood up for something. And you're gonna figure out. Oh, and you're mad because they're blocking the roads. It's like man, it's like. You almost have to appreciate how simple it is to know that you're standing on the right side of these issues, and some people still mess it up. Well, I guarantee that those people with Reason Magazine uh, weren't condemning BLM or Antifa uh, in 2020 for doing, you know, for blocking roads and doing a whole hell of a lot worse. Um, you know, it, it goes to show that uh, you know they're in, they've they've already arrived at the at the political conclusions that they that they want to, and they're going to use libertarian or pseudo-libertarian arguments in order to justify them, right? But, you know, like my generation, we grew up, um, on, you know, e- even being taught in our civics classes, for example, in our public education indoctrination camp civics classes and history classes, that Julius Caesar was uh, was a bad guy for, for, for becoming a, a tyrant, right? Um we, you know, we grew up on Revenge of the Sith on a little bit more of a comical note, understanding that Palpatine was a bad guy for 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 exercising permanent emergency powers. Right. right. Um, understanding like, OK, that wasn't a bad thing to do. This fictional character is clearly a villain uh, for doing this. But we look at what we are or, or we look at the way that these people are justifying this now, the lengths to which they are willing to go in order to justify the regime. And you're right. It's 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 immediately apparent to anyone with a brain stem that there's no way they can meaningfully oppose. There's no meaningfully. There's no way they can meaningfully advance libertarianism. They just aren't. And something that has occurred to me for some time is that maybe uh, maybe we do need a separate term to refer to these sorts of people that isn't libertarian, right? Like, you know, uh, language can very clearly, uh, you know, sh- you know, reshape the way that people think and, and perceive the world around them. It is quite literally the means by which they do so. Um, I can't help but think maybe, maybe we do need some sort of a wall of linguistic separation, so to speak, between those of us who claim to be libertarians and actually embody the principles of liberty uh, versus uh, those who adopt the, the term libertarian uh, and don't, right? Maybe maybe that's a necessary protection in order to keep these people from 
you know, from infiltrating, you know, from infiltrating our institutions, the way that they've done with Cato, with Reason, and now I believe with Young Americans for Liberty. Uh, then again, maybe I'm just I'm engaging in some sort of a wild, otherworldly speculation. Uh, but uh, it is, uh, it, it I have to I have to admit it's it's a little bit of an enticing thought. Like you just want to take the word libertarian and literally just snatch it out of their mouth, right? So that they can never use it again and force them to come up with their own stupid term. For how they how they refer to themselves, right? Yeah, I absolutely think we should we should make them come up with another term. But it's like you know, I, guys like you and I, I'm sure you've gotten this online on Twitter before. It's like you know, this, these same left libertarians they'll accuse guys like us. It's like, oh, you're just like you're just Republicans who smoke weed or whatever. And that is just absolute. At least it's clear to me now that that is just pro, you know straight up projection, because these yep. folks are quite literally. If you look at their entire worldviews, they're quite literally just Democrats that smoke weed. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they they don't criticize the state because the state employs a a black woman as as vice president. And and, you're just a you're a Democrat that smokes pot. Like, (laughs) just admit it. It's okay. Admit who you are and then go away. And, you know, nobody needs to hear from you ever again. My brother, Reed. Thank you for doing what you're doing, my friend. And, uh, you know, you're going to have some other updates on, on your journey as well. We'll bring you back in a couple months to talk about that, I assure you. But, um, you know, obviously you took a stand. You turned down some cash, literally, um, so you could take a stand, let the world know what's happened to a once great organization. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, props to you. And times are tough, man. I, I'd have been tempted to take the money, but <laughs> you're a man of principle. And uh, you know, you're, you definitely did the right thing there. Thanks for being willing to speak out about it. Where can everybody follow you online, keep in touch, read your stuff, and, and all that? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at uh, J. Reed Cooley, J-R-R-D-R-E-E-D-C-O-O-L-E-Y, uh, and Instagram at Reed Cooley, R-E-E-D-C-O-O-L-E-Y. Everybody follow Reed. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Mm-hmm.